Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars some more. <laughs> Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on it this podcast. It has been six months since we talked seriously about Star Wars as, as an episode topic. That feels fair, No, it I is. Guess, it is. To me. <laughs> uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, but, you know, Star Wars is too big. It breaks down media barriers, and now we're living in a world of... Just we're, we're, it's Disney's world, and we're we're all just living in it. So D twenty three was this weekend, uh, and they released a bunch of new footage. And maybe it's time we do like a like an episode prepping for episode eight, nine, not even eight. Jeez, episode nine. Yeah, I f- I feel like there's a bunch of people kind of in our band that are like despondent about nine in this weird way right like as, as cgp gray put it it's or maybe it was brady here and it was on it was on their podcast uh uh hello internet hello internet yeah, yeah one of them said like it's the last star wars i have to care about right like and like this it's it's kind of like it, it it does feel kind of like an end of, an end of an era in in some ways but like um i know for me it's been a large part of my life like i you know a lot of no. My- I mean, listen. I I have evangelized too much about Star Wars not to not to care care quite a lot about it. Uh, and I think that that passion is part of why I'm so fucking nervous. <laughs> oh, okay. Where do you wanna Where do you wanna start? There's a, there's plenty of information to talk about. Uh, it's just about choosing a good entrance. Into Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Well, let's let's, let's start. I think with the thing that maybe might like that's kind of the broadest thing is, is George is consulting on this, right? It's directed by JJ, mm. but George Lucas is consulting on it, and I think that simultaneously, like the kind of best and worst sign, at least in my eyes, right? Like, well, so I think it's a very interesting sign, yeah. Because George was very public when it came to episode seven. He said, I gave, I had all these ideas and I gave them all my ideas and they didn't run with it. Um, and at the time it was, you know, cheered on by the fanboys because they're ungrateful idiots uh, who all were like, fucking, yeah, George, you would have just ruined it if you got involved. <laughs> um uh, yeah, no, that's 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 more true which than it should perhaps be. Perhaps me being, which is perhaps me being mean to the fanboys, but I have a lot of respect for George Lucas, partially because I like the prequels a lot, and also because I think he deserves, you know, he deserves real credit for giving us Star Wars in the first place. Um, like the fact that George Lucas is not looked upon in the same way Stan Lee is is honestly like really mind-boggling to me. Like, like because like, listen, I I love Stan, but boy. When you get when he got off the range, his stories were really bad too. Yeah, I, <laughs> and like and in some way, we're willing to forgive. You know, we're forgi- willing to forgive Stan his trespasses, but not necessarily George. Honestly, I, I think that most of that is that the people who celebrate and love Stan Lee are Marvel movie watchers, and not that many people actually read the comics, and so they never saw like Stan Lee really off the range. They see him as like true. kind of the old man. That cameos in every Marvel film. Um, That's very fair. Um, and I, I think that, like, I think people might come around on George and stuff. Like, I think, I think it's already shifted from like George is a trash fire to kind of like George needs somebody to kind of like leash him in some ways. Um, 
which is kind of like the narrative that's that's evolved around the the OG trilogy that his first wife really kind of did a lot for those movies in a way that kicked uh, it into shape. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, which honestly might kind of be what happens with this movie. It's kind of in the other direction, but it's like George tempered in a way, which might be mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true of most, like, I, I think that's just the nature of auteurism, yeah. right? Like, you know, when you give people free reign, eventually they start doing weird shit. Um, and uh, and so, I don't think that that's unique, to, that's unique to George, but I definitely think that if, you know, if we identify that as a principle where, you know, if you give auteurs too much leash, they're just, like, going to go crazy, um, this is a pretty good solution for it. When it comes to right, like Disney is putting it in the hands of J.J. Abrams, who I don't think has made a very competent Star Wars movie, but whatever. Um, but then bringing in kind of like an old, you know, like uh, an old guard uh, supplement in the in the in the form of George. Yeah. So I I, I will say that like I, I largely agree with you that I I also am not as big a fan of TFA. We've been over this, but. Uh... I think that J.J. Abrams made a very technically competent Star Wars, right? Like, the mm. problem was that it, f- like, it felt too much like Episode Four. Not that it didn't feel like Star Wars. So, like, if you got like, if you if you had like, you know, like the theoretical like Star like good script and told J.J. Abrams to do Star Wars to it, I feel like I'm fairly I'm fairly okay with that. If that makes sense. Um, and so I, I, okay, I'm, that's I'm, fair. I am cautiously optimistic about, uh, about this film from that way. Although, you know, I mean, I yeah, know. from a different angle, they have hired a very adept screenwriter, one Chris Stereo, who is the writer of Batman versus Superman. Oh God. <laughs> which means clearly they're hiring, they're putting the right people in the director's chair, right, Mango? <laughs> Who, 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 um... I mean, the writer's chair. I'm just kidding. Who, who else... Who, what else has he so done besides out. Batman he, So, he, he did Argo was the big thing. He was... Okay. He is, uh... It's like a writing partner with Ben Affleck. Um, Argo was the, the Ben Affleck-directed Oscar-winning movie. And Chris Seria won an Oscar for that movie. Uh, and then he did... He got brought on to do Batman vs. Superman and, uh, and Justice League. Um, so... Uh, so, what you're telling me is we're gonna find out that Ray's mother's name is Martha... Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly just like I'm mostly just memeing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't have a good sense of like this is this is one of the tough things with dealing with auteurs, also, right? Like, I don't have a good sense for how much of right, like BVS is Chris Terrio and how much of it is like Zack Snyder, right? Like, yeah. If you you know when when you get somebody who who takes a heavy hand uh, behind the camera, they make a they're gonna make a lot of changes and they're going to make a lot of decisions. Um, that uh, that aren't necessarily in the script. So, you know, what do yeah, you and, do? And, you know, I, I will point out that I went on record when we did BVS that I thought the Martha moment probably looked a lot better on paper than it ended up coming out in the film. Mm. Um, and so, like, from that angle, I guess that's a point in Chris Stereo's favor, assuming it was in his original script. Um, although we know that that's, like you said, not always true. Um, that yeah, the, I mean, and he also wrote it with David Goyer, who's the guy that wrote Man of Steel and the and the Christopher Nolan. You know what I mean? So like, it, it's it's just, it's tough to parse this stuff out, yeah. right? Like, because the, there's writers and co-writers and co, you know, like script doctors, all these other kinds and of notes from to like the uh, from the studio or whatever, right? Like, I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure Disney's got a heavy fucking hand in this thing. 
Uh, but so we should probably stop beating around the bush. What do you yeah. want to talk about first? The trailer or the D23 footage that just came out? Is the the trailer, by the way, is the trailer from months and months ago. For the D23 footage is, is, is trailer two, right? I guess that's what I've seen it reported Is that technically as. trailer two? Uh, uh, okay. is, it the one with, is it the one with the chopstick lightsabers? Oh, my God. I think of it as the popsicle lightsabers. Sure, Remember those popsicles with the two... With like the two popsicles and you would like break it in half that's yeah, what i yeah. immediately thought of somebody tweeted it out and i retweeted it because i thought that was so fucking good um it is called d23 special look so maybe it is trailer yeah i I, I think i saw it on trailer two. if it's the thing that i did with the two lightsabers it's that um yeah. i guess i guess the thing we should talk about is the thing we've talked about a little bit off off cast is uh what we think evil ray is um I'll lay out my three theories, and uh, you can tell me like you could you then you can add yours. We can discuss them. Sure. All the- right. Hit me. What are your theories? Theory number one is we also see earlier in this trailer C three PO with red eyes. So the spirit of Emperor Palpatine possesses various and sundry characters throughout this movie, probably culminating in Rey as kind of like a force vessel. I think this is probably the most likely. Um, uh, number two is the very cynical take, which is. This is like a vision of the future or like a f- sideways flash or something or a prophecy. And it never actually really comes true in, in the, in the quote unquote canon. And then my third really crazy out there take is that there is a mirror universe. Um, and the movie is about helping good emperor defeat evil versions of the main cast, which kind of also <laughs> goes with the C3 thing. Which is like yeah, so that's like of those so three theories. I would definitely agree with your your ordering. Um, I actually might say that two is more likely. One and two definitely feel very likely. Uh, my my principal theory is that it's like um, uh, it's like a disguise scenario. Um, especially like first of all, there is a long history of this in Star Wars. I feel like of like the main characters you know, going into some place with a disguise. It happens in episode four when they're stormtroopers. It happens in episode six with like their, with their starship. And so I don't think that it would be crazy for it to be a matter of like, they are trying to infiltrate, you know, whatever, like, like Ray needs to go undercover with the Knights of Ren sort of thing temporarily. And that's where this is kind of pulled from. I think that that's fairly likely. My other like fairly likely sort of uh, like point of view is that like, it's a move made out of desperation. Not that she is actually in the dark side or whatever, but like um, that she is just like wielding that lightsaber as a matter of circumstance, but she is still like fighting for good. Obviously we don't have any other indication of her goodness or evilness besides just wielding a red lightsaber with a cloak on. Um, And then my third theory is perhaps the most mundane of them, but it's just like, yep. Ray turns to the dark side. That's in this movie. Yeah, right. I, which I think is ironically extremely unlikely, uh, but it is you know it's on the betting pool table, right? You have to consider that as a real uh, as a real outcome. Um, um, I, so those I, I, those are my three theories for a total like a couple guess of six. Yeah, for for, for that kind of last one, I could I could see a couple of things there, right? Like I could see one version of it being that she actually brings balance to the force in some way, right? And this kind of prophecy that like was never explicitly fulfilled by Luke. Um, uh, but like the prophecy that started with, that starts with Anakin um, and ends with Ray as kind of like the, the, you know, the, uh, the descendant, like she becomes the Skywalker in some kind of mm. weird, you know, linguistic trick. Um, and she ends up kind of bringing balance to the force and that involves going to the dark side for a time. Uh, the other part of that I could see is, you know, 
we talked about, um, and it has been talked about, how, like, it seemed like maybe they were going to, like, that, that Kylo and Rey were going to switch sides at the end of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the fact that it didn't happen, but that is, like, a fairly popular, like, thing that people were like, oh, that would have been really cool. Like, maybe somebody just was like, well, the kids think this will be cool, so we're going to do it. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily they'll do it poorly, but, like, it, it seems like it could be a thing that's like, well, the fans wanted this, so maybe we could actually do it. Um, uh, and I could, I could see something like that happening. Um, yeah, so I don't think that is likely, but I actually kind of would, uh, uh, prefer something. So, okay. So here, here's, here's my, here's my overall problem with any and all Ray goes evil. I think it has to be paired with Kylo Ren gets redeemed and any redemption of Kylo Ren is bad. Right. It's very bad. Don't do it. Bad boy. Um, I, I, I disagree with you on this, but I see I see why. You 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 think it would be good if Kylo Ren gets redeemed? I don't think it's bad. I think it's oh. I think I think they could do it. Right? Like I think of all the main <sighs> villains, like he's kind of a, like he's probably the least evil out of any of them. No, sure, sure, sure. Um I think uh, I think that that's I think that that's true. He is the least evil, and he is like like the, <laughs> there's a video by a YouTuber named Jenny Nicholson who talks about the she she throws Kylo Ren a redemption party like a preemptive redemption party, and she lists out a bunch of reasons why she thinks Kylo Ren is going to be redeemed in uh, in the Last Jedi, and or, I'm sorry in uh, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, and I think. The the best case that she made is that he really hasn't done all that much evil stuff. Really, the biggest, most evil thing he did was kill his dad, right, in, in episode seven. And even and in that moment, we were given like a really like close and strong window into his kind of like soul, right? And his decision making process. Um which is cool. And like neat, but I think that it would kind of like ruin the Last Jedi. I think the 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 power of the Last Jedi, like the fuel in its engine when it kicks into high gear, is where Kylo Ren and Rey make their respective choices, right? And Rey choosing to abandon him triggers his own kind of like emotional abandonment issues which just causes him to like fall even deeper into the dark side yeah um and i think that if they were to walk him back from that it would just like it would just feel like such a such a hollow kind of unzipping of uh of a of a good moment in the last jedi i mean part of this is tough because like i am a big proponent of the last jedi and I understand, like, the backlash to that movie, right? And so, like, I would feel a little bit more confident in this if it was something um, that, I, that I had a better read on, like, the cultural pulse for it, right? So, for instance, when we were talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, we all knew in the trailer where that movie was going with Mysterio, but, like, there, there wasn't that same kind of, like... Uh, imagine a world where people really wanted to do the other thing, right? right. And, the, and there was all of this outrage about the movie. I think that's a real wild card, and that really could change things up. Like, maybe J.J. Abrams says, you know what, fanboys, you are correct. The Last Jedi is not that great of a movie. I am going to unzip the, the, the things that happened in it. I hope you I hope you like me again. That's a real thing that could happen. I think that would suck because of how much I like TLJ, but, you know. It's very much a possibility. Yeah, I'm, I am. I am. Uh, I'm obviously less less a fan of TLJ than you are. Um, although I, I I am less harsh of it than other people. But uh, 
I think that I think there's a fair chance they kind of throw some of this. They throw the stuff that I even like about TLJOA just in in a way, um, in kind of like the weirdest through the looking glass version of this. I feel like if you want to make the point that maybe Kylo in some ways is a stand-in for a whiny fanboy, redeeming him is a way that you kind of like apologize to the fans, um, mm. which is like a weird way to put it, but it's something that I think might happen. So that's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. Um, and I, like, like I said, I think, I think it's weird, but I, I could see it happening. Um, it's also kind of safe, right? Like, it is it's how Return of the Jedi ends, right? Like, yeah, it's it's but it's 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 a lot of Star Wars are stories about redemption in some ways, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so I I feel like I feel like it's the easiest thing to do. Like, even even like uh, what is it? Uh, you know, like uh, Han redeems himself at the end of four. Um, in in uh, what, what's what's the name of it? The the Lando the, Lando Lando also. Um, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, Rogue One, right? Like they're all kind of oh, a bunch yeah, of yeah. misfits, and they all kind of redeem themselves in death, right? Like, honestly, I think it would be really on the nose. But the thing that I think they probably do is like Kylo redeems himself while killing himself, right? Like not like you know. Like, See, he uh, so uh, interestingly, I so I think it would be a mistake. I I will just put this. I think it would be a mistake for uh for Kylo to redeem himself. But I think I might be willing to swallow it if it is paired with Ray's turn to the dark side. This is part of like the they are telling the truth. Ray turns to the dark side in this movie, right. right? About the footage, right? If that is the case, then I think it would be neat for kind of Ray and Kylo to sort of switch places, right? Ray becomes bad for whatever, for like whatever reason. And maybe that triggers something in Kylo where Kylo realizes maybe like Ray kills Leia or something. And that's what Kylo like snaps out of. He's like, oh my God, my mom or whatever. And then like the end of the movie is like Kylo kills Ray, but he takes a mortal fucking wound and it like because then because i think the interesting thing here and this is the reason why i think i would be okay with this is that it would kind of secretly pair the ending of the last jedi or i'm sorry the ending of return of the jedi with the ending of attack of the clones together right i'm sorry not attack of the clones revenge of the sith right like the ending of the prequel trilogy is like the jedi's fall into the dark side and then the ending of the the uh uh the original trilogy is the Sith redeeming himself. And so doing those at the same time together in the same movie would actually be kind of like neat and kind of like awesome. Especially if like you could pair it with sort of like a dual meaning on like, like the, the, the kind of like the legacy of the Jedi and like the legacy of the Skywalkers or whatever, like that's clever. And if they were to do something like that, I'd probably, I'd probably don't think it's great just because of how much, work in the last jedi would have to be undone um but uh it'd also have to be a lot of work for this movie to do right like i think this movie yeah i think this movie's probably gonna do a lot of work i bet you there's a, like i think there's if there's a time skip at the beginning of the movie like i could see there being a time skip between the tlj and uh and the rise of skywalker i don't see there being like a time skip in the middle of this movie just to kind of like let some things happen yeah like Part of me wants to believe in something stupid, like really stupid, like like uh, Kylo and Rey have like a kid, <laughs> and that's like oh the last God. Skywalker or something. Um, I don't know how you get there, but something at me is screaming that, that, that like that sounds like some George bullshit to me, 
right? Wow. Like, like uh, they, they both flip sides, does. have a kid together, and then like, and then like that's like the rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, like maybe maybe like Ray is like working undercover with like the to like infiltrate Kylo or something, and like they secretly kind of like radicalize one another in their own ideologies and they sort of like swap that's how they swap sides or whatever right. and it's like a it's not like a romeo and juliet story but a little bit like that kind of thing like maybe they go that direction oh see here's the thing here's my problem with all of this i think all of this stuff would be kind of like interesting in its own movie but it would just fall apart for like yeah, the trilogy no, as a absolutely whole, right like the moment where like kylo extends his hand to ray after killing snoke and you know what I mean? And he puts himself out there yeah. and asks her to join him. And she reaffirms her dedication to the light side and to her friends at the cost of sending him tumbling even deeper into his own, right, like, toxic emotions. Is That is, like, the core – that's, like, the core moment, I feel like, yeah. of their decision-making on who is light side and who is dark side. And so – any swappage from there kills that moment and like just unravels the the the, the other two movies in the in the the tapestry. I don't, I don't know if it really un- unravels TFA so much. Yeah, um, I, okay, that's fair. Well, so uh, TFA is interesting because because I think TFA, <laughs> to be honest, it's a little bit of a like of a Daenerys decision. I think that they have sort of done both leg both sides of the legwork in a way like there is evidence for both sides of yeah what's going to happen and so once something does happen you can always point to it and be like oh well we should have known because you know you know in we should have known because in the last jedi fucking kylo ren didn't shoot his mom when he could have and that was a sign that he was going to be going good right or like on the opposite end of the spectrum oh we always should have known because kylo ren brutally killed his fucking dad and is like addicted to these like you know a dark side pain powers or whatever else kind yeah. of thing right like you you could kind of it is ambiguous enough out of coming out that you could kind of like make it go sort of either way. Um, yeah, no, I, just like, on the my, evidence. My, my, my gut is that they're going to turn like Kylo killing Han, Han into a way to like turn it back. Like you're know, like Han goes to to Ben to save him, right? And like, yeah, I honestly expected that to have a better payoff than it did. Like, like, yep. And I like to have a to have a payoff at some point. So I could see that like being a flashback to Han, even like a Force Ghost Han in like the most ridiculous version of this, um, and that's oh like God. that's like how he saves Ben eventually, right? Like that he saves his son somehow, and then he turns back. I, I just I, I don't see them like I think I'm on board with like the presumption that he's going to get redeemed, even though I think I agree with you that it's hard to do it right. I think it's going to happen. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's going to happen. Um, I definitely think it's going to suck. Anyway, um, what are some of the other theories that we had? Mirror Universe? Where did that come from? Um, it came from it came from seeing two evil characters. Um, it was like, I just thought of like the stupidest thing I could think of, right? Like, there was some like, there was like a, a joke article, I think on like The Onion or on Hard Times or something that was like, uh, you know, like J.J. Abrams realized that he can fix The Last Jedi with time travel or something, right? And so I just started thinking of stupid plot threads I could go to. And this, this is actually a Star Trek thing, too. There's a mirror universe in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and in Deep Space Nine, I'm not so sure. Like, I think it's, it's, it's like, mostly the same in the first, uh, you know, in, in the original series. But by Deep Space Nine, they're all, like, kind of, like, evil mirrors. So I was like, that could be a thing. I could see, like, not really, but I could see, like, something silly like that happening, like – 
the fact that the, the second trailer has a bunch of clips from the first, like, from all the other movies makes me think that, like, the play here might be some sort of, like, big reset somehow, which would be terrible, but I could see it happening. Oh, see, like, I think that stuff is – it's just going to draw in a lot of lore. Um, like, for instance, sure. my pet theory on the prequel stuff is I think that they're going to go back to kind of, like, Darth Plagueis – um, and some of the sort of like lore, I think we're going to get here. Here's a bold prediction I'll make. I think we are going to get a midichlorians moment here where Palpatine explains that Darth Plagueis immaculate conceptioned Anakin in Shmi. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah, um, no. I, and I think we're going to get another moment. That's like, like he kind of did the same thing to Ray. Like, like, Maybe a back to the conception. Maybe he just took her as an orphan and, like, made her into oh a force God. vessel or something. Oh, fucking oh. shoot me. I know. That's going to fucking happen. And I'm going to want to fucking shoot myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I actually think Palpatine Ghost has a certain amount of logic to it. Um, especially because, like, you know, people, people have been making fun of it a little bit online. Uh, but I think that the evidence... First of all, we have force ghosts. We've had force ghosts this whole time. Right, we've had Force Ghosts since the original trilogy, so I think Force Poltergeists that are possessing people is much more plausible than it seems, kind of like on its face. Um, and uh, and also that's something that happened in like the books a bunch. Uh, Palpatine also got cloned a bunch; like they kept bringing Palpatine back in the books or whatever. But so like there is kind of like a precedent for some of this stuff. And even though it sounds like ridiculous, like oh evil fucking Palpatine ghost come back comes back from the grave or something like that, right? Like I don't know. That seems that seems very that seems very plausible to me. Like if, for instance, it would not surprise me if. Like, Rey has secretly been harboring the ghost of Palpatine within her this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Right? And, like, and that would, by the way, be a great vehicle. And by great, I mean awful. A great vehicle to kind of, uh, like, explain some of the ways that they would retcon decisions that she made in, like, The Last Jedi. Like, imagine, imagine a version of things where, um... That moment that the the join me moment in the throne room is not Ray's decision, but Palpatine's decision because Palpatine wants Kylo Ren to like dedicate himself to the dark side or something. Um, yeah, I think that's plausible. I think that's fucking real. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think part of this too is like you know this this. I feel like this is like a thing that I care about that no one that no one else is going to, including most importantly the people at Disney. But like having Kylo grapple with the fact that he idolizes Vader, even though Vader very very you know importantly like redeems himself at the end of Episode Six. Um, I don't know. Um, I I love how I get so despondent talking about Star Wars now because I just don't know what's going to happen. I I feel like I'm going to just be like have such a weight lifted off my shoulders. Christmas because at least it'll be fucking over um yeah Yeah, I mean part of this is just that I don't you know I I don't trust them and I think that's true of a lot of people right like there are I guess there are some people who would right because there are the people who like both TFA and The Last Jedi but I think there's a lot of people that either dislike both or dislike one and that has sort of sapped their right like even even as an evangelist for the last Jedi, 
right? The Force Awakens did not. I think that is not a good Star Wars film. Yeah. And so bringing back that original, you know, like bringing back that original team doesn't inspire me with like confidence or whatever. But also like at the same time, right, there are people who hated The Last Jedi who are seeing and they're just like, oh, well, Kathleen Kennedy is going to like ruin this all over again or whatever the case may be. So, you know. Yep. My, my argument for some kind of reset, like I mentioned earlier, is that if you do that, then, you know, Disney can keep making films, right? This is a very, like, argument, argument from economics type of thing. Um, like, because there's no, like, you know, there's no way that they're not making more Star Wars. Um, this needs to be, I, I think they need, they're, they're going to try and find a thread and needle where they can make more Star Wars, but not have to make more of this Star Wars. Um, since it is so controversial and, and kind of, like, um, lightning rod. I have not watched the kind of details on the, like the Mandalorian trailer. Um, yeah, I didn't watch that either. Um, but even having not watched, it, I have significantly more faith in it because I think John Favreau is pretty good. Um, and, uh, I feel like side stories are like a, a good way for them, for Disney to do star Wars without like totally fucking everything up. Uh, if that makes sense, like they don't, they don't like, you know, you can keep, you can make them a little bit different cause it's not like touching like the core George stuff. Um, Anyway, is there anything else from from uh, from this trailer? Like, do, do we want to talk about the Force Chopsticks at all? Or the Force okay, Popsicles? Okay, uh, so the Force Chopsticks are maybe the stupidest thing. I was, I was very, like... <laughs> I feel I feel a little like like egg on my face in a way because when Kylo Ren's lightsaber debuted for the first time, I thought that was very cool, and I thought everybody who was complaining about that was just were just dumb, right? Like the idea of this like unrestrained claymore lightsaber. Who cares if it doesn't like match the lightsaber mechanics or whatever, right? Like it's just fucking like cool. cool. Yeah. This is not. Like I, I, and it, I, I have an extremely hard time articulating why, right? Because like they show it in the trailer, the moment where Darth Maul, right? Like he puts the lightsaber out, and then the second beat, like I remember that from the yeah. Phantom Menace trailer, and I remember how crazy cool that was. So it's like I, I just feel like the ultimate kind of like hypocrite here, but I don't know why the fucking so the popsicle they... lightsaber looks so dumb, Mango. So I think what it is 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 I think they've made a mistake in that she needs to flip the lightsaber into its dual-sided configuration before she ignites both sides. Like, I kind of buy it as, like, a switchblade, right? Like, she flips it out, and then it's two-sided, right? But the fact mm -hmm. that it's ignited before she flips it out, I think, makes it look significantly dumber. Especially yep. because, like, that first shot is, with is like, the, the, the chopsticks, right? Yeah. Um, the reason I keep calling it the chopsticks is because, like, I saw a picture as... Like, there are lightsaber chopsticks out there, and somebody posted a picture comparing them, like, oh my god, it looks just kind of like that, right? Like, that, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god. I think I even have a pair of lightsaber chopsticks somewhere. But, um, I think, like, I think it could be cool, right? Like, I'm, I've, I've, I've said that I, like, I like the weird lightsaber designs. Like, there was a piece of concept art um, near one of my old workplaces that had, like, lightsaber tonfas, which I thought were the coolest thing I've ever, I'd ever seen. Um... Uh, but I think that I think that you could do it better in presentation. Um, I also think it might be a little bit less dumb in the actual. Like I don't know if you remember, but like they did kind of like spoil the double-ended lightsaber for us with the trailers for Episode One. But in Episode One, the first fight he doesn't get the second end of the lightsaber, right? Like it's kind of supposed to be a reveal. Um, 
uh, in in like like the, he only pulls out the second lightsaber in the hangar fight. Yeah. Um. Uh. And so I th- I feel like the first moment that we see it could be a little bit less stupid, which I think would be good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also think that uh, that it depends a little bit on like like part of what I think makes the double sided lightsaber work in the Phantom Menace is like the fight choreography and yeah. sort of like the mystique around Darth Maul in the first place, right? Like, you know, uh, whereas like imagine like for instance, you know, I like the I like the Last Jedi, but I don't think the action is very good. I think that throne room fight scene is very dumb. Um yeah. uh, from like an action perspective. And imagine a double-sided lightsaber in that sort of a fight scene, I feel like that just, like, looked really stupid and awful, right? Like, you know, I mean, for, for people who don't know, this is part of, this is part of, like, the TLG hate train that I will buy a ticket for. Um, there are explainer videos that kind of, like, take you through that throne room fight scene and show how stupid it looks. Um, because, like, there are... There are, like, guards that are very obviously swinging their lightsabers or their, like, light knife sword things in ways that, like, just wouldn't hit anybody and, like, swinging at air and stuff like that. And just, like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it just looks, like, looks so stupid. I don't, I don't even think I had this criticism when we did the first review of the movie because it, I probably just, like, didn't see it. But now that I do see it, I just, like, I see it every time and I'm just like, oh, yeah, so fucking awful. Yeah, there, um, there, there, there's a moment where, like, one of the, one of, like, the those, those weapons, like, he has two, like, one of the guards has two in their hands and then, like, he spins around and the second one disappears because, like, you would just, like, hit the fuck out of, out of, out of Ray if, if, if it didn't disappear. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, I think you're right. I think that, I, I'm also with you, right? Like, I didn't realize, like, I didn't realize it was, it was as bad as it was when I first saw it, but I can't unsee it now that it's been pointed out to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, you know, and, and maybe the answer is not to be, you know, like, that. In a certain sense, I kind of think, like, The Phantom Menace went for expertise. But maybe you don't go for expertise. Maybe you just kind of go for, right, like, theatrics, for lack of a better word. Um, like, so, so for instance, I feel like uh, a lot of Marvel fight scenes kind of work along this level. It's not really about, like, tension and danger and, like, the, like, the wow factor of, like, the technical expertise. It's just kind of, like... Everybody using their powers in like fun and interesting ways, and like you can you could explain that to people that you know what I mean. Like fucking Squidward throws a car at Spider Man, and so Spider Man catches the car in midair and throws it at the fucking Hulk guy or whatever, right? You know, like you can explain it in those kinds of basic terms because it's not like incredibly technical. Like John Wick fight scenes are also like this, where they're very technical, and it's like. You know, you can't really explain a John Wick fight scene, but I can sit here and explain, right, like, you know, the fight scenes in Avengers Infinity War and why they are cool, right? And then, you know, and then Doctor Strange splits himself into a million copies, and each of the copies throws a restraining magical band to lock Thanos down, but then he uses the power gem to blow up or you know like that kind of a thing and so maybe you do something kind of along those lines where you know it's just about doing like cool simple things with like science magic fucking fantasy powers rather than like trying to be crouching tiger hidden dragon i'm still caught on the fact that you've called 
Well, I presume it's supposed to be Doc Ock Squidward. And I'm, I think that's hilarious. Oh, no, no, no. It's the fucking... It's the one guy from Infinity War. But Doc Ock is also secretly what I'm thinking of, I guess. Because uh, I think I blended those two because I don't think it's a taxi. There's that one telekinetic guy in Infinity War. Okay, yeah, yeah, Or whatever. And I know that there's a shot in Infinity War where Spider-Man throws a car at the big hulking guy in the Black Order. Um... But I'm probably just, like, blending those two together. I definitely want to see a version of, at least, like, for a frame, a version of, like, Squidward as Doc Ock and, like, Spongebob as Spider-Man. Spongebob as Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Don't you be... know that Squidward's superhero persona is Krakatoa Mango? <laughs> right. Right, right. How, how could I forget? How could I How can you forget this deep lore from Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy 5, an episode in the season 4 of Spongebob? I just want to make does, sure that I'm right. Does William, sure I'm right. though, have, like, that hair that's kind of like Doc Ock's hair? Uh, like, Squidward's rival. William, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, feel, I feel like at least there's, like, a picture there that you could make and people would laugh online. Um, but, you know... Back to Star Wars. I want Wars. everyone to know that I was correct on the episode. It is Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy 5. Uh, but I was incorrect on the season. It was the very last episode of season 3. Actually, the very last half of the episode of season 3, because it is episode 52B. So it's the part that shows after the commercial break, which means the next episode is season 4. So I was really fucking close, okay, you guys? My deep cut, my deep cut SpongeBob lore. There are brain cells in my brain. I think about this all the time. There are like brain cells in my brain that like woke up after like years of dormancy <laughs> to be like, oh, I remember what season that's in. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, like these brain cells from like 2006. I prepped them with classic today. These brain cells from like 2006 that were like watching SpongeBob on like 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon when it's like too hot to go out outside. I'm just like lounging on the chair, like watching SpongeBob episodes or whatever. This is your brain <laughs> actively attempting to defend you from Star Wars by getting us off track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by, by going deep on this like SpongeBob. Deep cut. Lore, Listen, yeah. SpongeBob is one of the most important cultural touchstones of our age mango yeah. <laughs> i mean for us in particular i remember when it started like i like i don't remember exactly. i watched yeah i watched the very first i was really hyped i remember for the debut of yeah. spongebob because yep. they were like promoting the fuck out of it and i think i was like 10 so i didn't know any better but yeah uh, almost as important as fucking the prequel trilogy right like oh, yeah God. they came out right around the same time because i think spongebob was 1999 uh yeah uh, anyway, so so th those, are, those are those are to to roll this back to get back in here with a very like <laughs> gross segue. Those are most of my thoughts about like the chopstick fucking the chopstick yeah. lightsaber. Um, when it comes to other theories, though, I do think that there are a lot of other options. Like for instance, I I actually think that um, the version of like they're undercover is so for like so for instance, I'm always reminded of this because it was a big deal at the time. There was a um, there was a Green Lantern comic uh, that was, like, coming out at the time, and, uh, and the cover showed Hal Jordan, right, like, the, the, the good guy Green Lantern, in a Sinestro Corps costume with, like, a yellow ring. Um, and everybody was speculating at the time, like, oh, my God, you know, he's going to fucking, like, go evil or whatever. But what it had turned out to be is, like, some bad guy shut off the central power battery, and so all of the Green Lanterns 
needed to get new rings. And so Hal Jordan, you like, he temporarily uses a Sinestro ring to like beat up on Sinestro or whatever, or like whatever the super, super villain of the day was. I think it was Krona. Um, and I feel like a very similar thing might kind of like happen, right? Like Ray is deep behind enemy lines and she's in the new fucking rebuilt Death Star RRR V3.0 or whatever. And she, her lightsaber gets broken. And so she breaks into uh, like, like Kylo Ren's personal armory and pulls out uh, the, the chopstick lightsaber and she fights the Knights of Ren with like their own lightsaber or something like that. Like, I think that's very, very plausible. Yeah, I can believe that too. And I think that that would actually be pretty good, right? In terms of, uh, uh, in terms of like pulling this stuff off, uh, because like, this is one of the, this is one of the theories that would preserve the, the existing kind of like Kylo Ren is unilaterally evil. Ray is unilaterally good. They made their decision in the last movie on where they're going to be. And they stay on that trajectory as they come to their final confrontation in this movie sort of thing. Um, so I would, I would be pretty okay with that. I also feel like that one is more likely simply because they put it in the marketing. I think if Ray truly fell to the dark side, they wouldn't have put it here. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like maybe it. Like we're we always can can find ourselves in this in this kind of situation where we're like going back and forth, right? Like, oh well, are they? Do they want you to think that so that they undercut your expectations, or maybe they want you to think that they think that you think that they think like that kind of back and forth? Um, but I think that there's a there is pretty good evidence that that's just not going to end up being being the case because. Uh, they teased it so early. If they, if she was going to to do that, it would be a real plot twist that they would execute on. So, so Daisy Ridley has said in regards to the moment, there is no smoke without fire. So, I what, feel what, like what, is, what a fucking what does that mean? I like that that there's it's 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 done with reason. I I suppose what's the full point? I mean, uh, the evidence is on the screen. Take that evidence as you will. But there's no smoke without fire. Um, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. I think actually something that could happen is maybe you are correct. Like, for instance, I, time skips happen all the time in Star Wars movies. And they almost always happen between films where, where you'll get like a catch up, right? And kind of get thrown into the action. And I think maybe they put that in the time skip, right? Like, imagine a version of things where in the scroll up... Right, you see it. It talks about you know, oh, Ray has joined the Knights of Ren or something kind of along those lines. And then like halfway through the movie, it so it starts the movie with her being evil, but then halfway through the movie, it, you know, you find out that she's Professor Snape all along or something. And then you know, like that kind of a thing happens. That 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 could be legitimate. Yeah, I mean, my 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 biggest fear for the moment is that it gets turned into a stupid joke. Like they oh. just like like she does it and she's like oh wouldn't this be funny right like or something oh I don't think I, I don't I think that's wait I think that's too bad for that to actually happen even for them yeah even yeah for them they wouldn't do that um uh but what what else? <sighs> so what do we think's gonna ha- like I don't know what happens with like Poe or Finn or Rose Tico who we know is coming back um, we know Rose Tico's coming back uh, I just. I, so I, I read it in the uh, in, in the same article on Yahoo News with the smoke without fire comment. Explain telling me Marie Tran who returns as Rose Tico. JJ has done a really good job of bringing a lot of things together, 
in terms of having characters from the older films. Everyone's together in this movie, which isn't something that's happened before, so it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know. You think Benicio del Toro comes back? Let's see if no. there's like. If see, I actually for... feel like Rose Tico doesn't necessarily deserve to come back. Just I, I agree. Uh, I think her character was uh, bad in the Last Jedi. Uh, you know, um, whether her character was, like, bad or not isn't really, like, her narrative utility, I think, was specifically as a foil and bounce off of Finn, right? On his, right. like, on his, like, little journey. And I kind of, like, where do you go from there with with her? I feel like she kind of, like, served her purpose and we don't need to, like, revisit revisit that i mean maybe we do i don't know there's there could definitely be more but she 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 just reads to me like a kind of a foil supporting character who's there to keep one of our big main heavy characters busy for a little bit but she doesn't have a big you know maybe maybe she is in the next movie but like not in a very big role which I also yeah think yeah like jar jar yeah yeah exa- exactly right like jar jar was an important piece of the plot of the phantom menace right which is a true statement because of the structure of that film and what he needs to do to accomplish to get like the plot where it's going but he doesn't actually do anything for the other two movies and so he only really shows up as a background character and i or, and i think that's that's the perfectly a perfectly fine place for her, so uh, for her to end up do you think that jar jar shows up in this movie i would lose my shit i'm like historically famously the only person who who likes jar jar binks um but I would, I would, I would, I would fucking lose it if Jar Jar even got got a fucking cameo in this movie. Oh. <laughs> I feel like that's that that's the right reaction. I'm like looking out into the middle distance, like <laughs> contemplating my life. I'm on a cliff, like looking at the sunset. Like, is Jar Jar coming back in the next Star Wars movie? The question will haunt me forever. You know, oh, I, so here's the, here's the thing. I, I think there is some credence to that, and it's because of something I thought recently, which was, so Palpatine is obviously uh, a big figure in Return of the Jedi, right? But he is a bigger figure in the prequel trilogy, right? He makes more moves. He is more active. He you hear his kind of philosophy more sort of thoroughly. And so I think this is sort of a tinfoil thing. I think that this might be a gateway to them bringing prequel mythology into these later movies as a kind of like, I don't know, as like a, like almost as like a red herring sort of like submarine sneaky, thing where they're like oh well you know you say you hate the prequels but here's all this really relevant lore from palpatine's backstory that's from revenge of the sith and everything like "Mm, oh wasn't that wasn't that good lore sort of thing and and if i am thinking along those kinds of lines right that like in the same way in the last two movies we've been getting a lot of references to the original trilogy we will get lots of references to the prequel trilogy um in this movie then Jar Jar showing up makes makes sense. So, so I actually you, think it makes more sense if he gets mentioned rather than if he shows up. So you want you want a real wild wild theory? Sure. So if we go back to my my first theory, which is like part of this is Darth, Darth or uh, you know Palpatine jumping between different characters, right? Like mm-hmm. which C three PO was one of them. 
One of yep. those characters is Jar Jar to nod to Darth Jar Jar as like a fan call out. I could wow. see that happening. Like that that's a long oh. shot, but I could see it happening. You know, that is a fucking long shot, but I could see that happening. I think I think it's going to be a reference. I think yeah. so so something okay. To talk about something that I like in this trailer. Um, something that I enjoyed in this trailer and this footage is the mirroring and kind of progression where Luke's voiceover becomes Palpatine's voiceover. Um, I think that's really cool and that's really interesting and something I would like to see kind of explored. Like, a version of things where, you know, instead of Rey and Luke, like in the last movie, we're getting a lot of stuff with kylo and palpatine in the in this upcoming movie and they're kind of mirroring that kind of like mentor mentee sort of relationship uh, i think that would be really interesting and i feel like in a situation like that you it would be very easy for them to make up you know like palpatine is like he's sitting there whatever maybe he's a force ghost or something like that and he's like he's like the the the, the man who elected me to the senate was also a fool, and I got him to do my bidding. Now you need to do the get these fools to do your bidding, Kylo. And he's like, oh, yes, master. And he's, like, talking about Jar Jar. Like, we all understand right, yeah. that he is talking about Jar Jar being the one who granted Palpatine his emergency powers. Um, I think that is actually really... Not really likely. It's still a pretty big outside shot. Yeah, like, yeah. Less than 10%. But if it does happen... I'll peg it here. That's where I. That's ha, that's how it happens. All right. Yo, you know what? I, I, let's. That, that, that's. I think. Uh, that, that's going to be the big prediction out of uh, out of our predictions about where the Skywalker is. <laughs> that, that some Jar Jar Binks is going to be referenced. Yeah. In some way. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. There's some other stuff that I wanted to ask your opinion on. Sure. Uh, like so, for instance, we see Lando in the original trailer coming back. Under what circumstances do you think that that becomes a thing? What, what what do you mean? Like like how does he come back? Yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. I think it's gonna be really simple. I think it's just gonna be like we need someone to fly the Falcon, and then Billy D. Williams is like, "Oh hello there, I used <laughs> to fly this ship." <laughs> you know, fair enough. Okay, that like it, that's, he, that's, he is going to be one of the friends that that uh that like uh that that Leia reaches out to. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, yep, that was a much easier question than I anticipated. <laughs> you, you, have, you have a theory? No, I mean, I, it's something that I've been thinking about, um, especially because, like, in The Force Awakens, we got a lot about Rey's competency as a pilot. This is part of my frustration with Rey and where I think, like, the Rey is a Mary Sue argument holds some water, right? Like, you know, even in a situation... Well, whatever the case may be. But um, the uh, the... Uh, existence of Billy D. Williams, especially piloting the Falcon, um, suggests to me that we're going to see another kind of like breakup of the main team, uh, and they're going to kind of be off doing their own things again, uh, which is probably how we also get like Ray and Kylo Ren like dueling on like the sinking piece of the Death Star, I guess. Yeah, I don't really understand. Um, yeah, there there is a like um. Before the second trailer came out, uh, on Red Letter Media, uh, Mike and Rich talked about the first trailer, and they pointed out that like Ray's carrying a backpack when they're overlooking the sunken Death Star, and, and then Kylo and Ray are fighting on it, and they th- said, you know, well maybe that's where like Darth Pal or not Darth Pal- Palpatine, where Palpatine's soul is, and they need to fight over it or something. Um, I could see something like 
like this fight scene on the wreckage like kind of almost confirms that in a way um which i could believe right like that there's there's something tied to palpatine in the ruins of that death star um that needs to be dealt with um yeah yeah uh what what do you like so so do you think the clips at the beginning that are all kind of like previous clips do you think that that's just all like uh just like you said you think they're references to, to old lore or something yeah i mean i i think part of this is that like this is if if we believe that they are uh not like this is not a trailer that stuff is all stuff that comes out of you know, not having, uh, like, not having the trailer tag, right? Like, this is goodies for the the audience at D23, right? Something to suggest to them, like, oh, look, we're going to be tying in all of this lore that you love. Don't you love all of this lore? Part of this is what I, what I enjoy about seeing, like, the prequels mentioned uh, uh, kind of visually in there because it speaks to someone like me. And I feel like we've been getting all this fan service about the original trilogy, which I do love, obviously. Um but uh, but I obviously want to see you know I want to see my favorite movies uh, in the Star Wars mythos like get get some love too so yeah that's just that's kind of like my general thought on uh, on this stuff also like there's other stuff in there that that you know obviously like even just the existence of like the Death Star like we see another Death Star bolt thing come down do you know what I mean. Um, and no. so, like maybe in in the tra- in the trailer footage, they have a they have like a bolt, a Death Star beam shooting a planet or whatever. We don't. Know oh, oh I see Star. what you're saying. Uh, but I like, see- I, like I'm pretty sure we're gonna see another Death Star get fucking fired here. Like, um, so and that's gonna be a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so from the first trailer, like the big the big thing is Ray leaping over the the. Uh, the interceptor, which is presumably Kylo, but I'm looking at it again. I don't think it actually ever shows him in that thing. Like I can see that being like a weird bait and switch, right? Like yeah, like, that does seem incorrect. I do. Uh... Yeah, I don't think he, we actually see him. We see his hand. Like we see hands that look like they could be his. It's his ship, but like you know, I th- I'm pretty sure it's his ship. But we we could. It, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely, yeah. you know, the best thing I can say about this movie, I think, is that I'm, I, I won't say I'm excited, but I'm like, I definitely am intrigued, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I don't know how they're going to end this, but I kind of, I, I got to see it, buddy. I, I have, I have to know, even though, even if it kills me, I have to know. Yeah. Okay. I also have to know. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. Do we do we do we have anything else to to say? Do you want to? Well, what do you think is even going to happen with Oscar with with, with Poe and, and Finn? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I mean, part of it is like, what would you have? There's just like so much less indication, especially coming out of this movie compared to. Uh, like the original trilogy, right? Like, there were lots of real questions to ask about Han and Leia in right. The Empire Strikes Back. There's just not that many questions to ask about Poe and Finn. Um, I'm gonna guess that if they get split up, Poe is gonna kind of be on like the military sort of battle side of things, 
Um, this is the kind of split that they made in Return of the Jedi, which I think was sort of like successful, right? Like you had Han and Leia on the ground fighting the fight, right? And then Luke was in the, the Death Star. Um, so, you know, maybe that maybe that's how they handle it. Yeah, um, they've got this shot of the three of them with Chewbacca looking over this colorful kind of like bizarre looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what you do with them. Like, Poe po has had so little to do in all of the, like... Yeah. In, in, like, I, I honestly think that his, his stuff in The Last Jedi was the worst part of The Last Jedi. Um, uh, I mean, it sucks because I really love Poe as a character, right? I think, yeah. he's a, I think he's a really great character. I actually, I probably like him better in The Force Awakens than in The Last Jedi because he's just so straightforward and like a paragon, right? Yeah. Like, he's a good guy, he's really good-natured, and he's trying his best, and I appreciate that they gave him a character arc to actually kind of like learn and grow a little bit in uh, in the second movie, but I sort of wish that he was a little bit more like, uh, you know, like a static character who didn't have an arc, um, kind of. I think this arc could have to... worked if it was a better arc, right? Yeah, like, not even a better arc, right? Like you could have have the same arc where like Hotshot Flyboy like learned some wisdom if it just wasn't so poorly executed. Honestly, I, all I think they really need to do is change the way that that, that like the coup thing happens. Yeah, because in the context of the movie, it is very unearned and insanely stupid. Um, but. Uh... In the context of, like, broad strokes, I think you could rewrite things and easily have it kind of, like, end up in the same kind of position. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. We've talked about this. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense for Holdo not to tell people, right, that there is a, that there's a plan. And I just don't think that there is a – like, it's just – that's just – that's where it falls apart for me. Um, yeah. You, so, something I – I wonder if they will have, like – a throwaway line that explains like why the hold the maneuver happened and why it can never happen again or something. Like, do you think they go that kind of petty? I think that'll happen. I think that'll happen. Well, I actually don't think it's petty. I think it's an important piece of logos that they need to, I, you know, I broadly agree with the hold maneuver criticisms in, uh, in kind of like general, but like at the, my, my quibble is kind of with the damage done, so to speak, right? Like the damage of the hold maneuver, being a thing in the Star Wars universe is always kind of played up to be this like meteoric thing when I just think it doesn't matter that much. Um, and that if the next movie, they just include, include a throwaway line um, uh, to sort of explain why it can't happen again. Uh, everything will be fine. Like that. Yeah. Just like, yeah, this, this, I, this, know, I, I think ties well into kind of like the model of Qui-Gon Jinn is the better character after episode three is done or, you know, even uh, then, um, or like with the with the greater context of of like you know that the the full lore than he mm. is in the first movie because you you really get the sense that he was a rebel like he he was kind of like a a loose cannon Jedi yeah. right um, which you know I don't like as kind of a rule I don't like so much like when movies do that but I do think it can it can make a mediocre thing better so yeah. here's to hoping. Yeah, I you know I I I I think I need to be or like we need to be sort of forgiving in uh in a lot of these when when the storytelling is getting this complex and this big um 
you just kind of need to give a little bit more slack and leeway on on stuff like this. It's kind of like in you know in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're like, why didn't the Avengers stop this or whatever? Like, is shouldn't the Avengers stop fucking you know like whatever the guy's name is in like Ant Man or whatever? They always have a line that's like, oh, the Avengers don't care. The Avengers are doing whatever sort of thing, right? Like, I think you just kind of have to if you are the type of person to quibble with lines like that, you are just being too stringent for these these movies um and you're kind of being unfair to them um yeah and, I, sure. and like and this also just ties back like you know even even if i love the last jedi and i do and i think that it's really great like it is great on the strength of the stuff it does well being exceptional not as a as a holistic picture right like the last jedi is a movie that strives really far in some places and stumbles in others and i think that that balances out to be a really great movie um, but like, yeah, there are absolutely flaws that I'm sure that they'll, they'll come back to and kind of touch up in a way, uh, in the, in the next one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Nope. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Ugh. Anyway, fucking that's Star Wars. Yep. I look at you in the future with very doubtful eyes. Um, yep. Uh. <laughs> Ugh, it's gonna Star Wars. Like, I, I've never felt this way about a piece of media before. Like, like simultaneous kind of dread but anticipation. Like, hmm. maybe, maybe this says something about like nerd culture, about like like how I've tied myself so hard to like fucking Star Wars, this this weird corporate property. Yeah, um, and it's like so much tied to like not. It's not like tied to my sense of self. But it's like very much part of my like I don't want to say it's like part of my identity, right? Like it's not like if mm. Star Wars isn't there, I'm like less of a person. But right. it's like something that like means a lot to me in a lot of ways. No, I, that's very true, and I, and that's something that feels really good when it pays off for you, right? Like like right. like for instance, this is how I felt about Batman vs Superman, right? Like even in the face of wide ranging like outrage about that movie i was insanely hyped for it and i loved everything that i saw in the trailers and it paid off right like it was a movie that really appealed to me and my sensibilities and i thought it was really great kind of thing and it's like it's like a highs and lows sort of experience right because like when that pays off it feels really good but when it doesn't it just like pisses you off and it's frustrating do you know what i mean yeah um and, uh, I don't know. And that kind of, and that like kind of sucks. That even happens. I mean, that happens to me a lot, like after the fact, like I, for instance, since our Spider-Man far from home review where I, I was very positive with that movie, I have turned around quite a bit on it. Like, cause even though I think a lot of the stuff in there like really works, there's a lot of stuff that's just been bothering me. And this is the same thing that happened to me with the force awakens, right? Like at the time I thought it was pretty okay. And, uh, and I came out and I was like satisfied, but like the things that I was dwelling on were the things that were just like, they were just like stuck in my brain. And over time were kind of like eroding the image of the movie that I had had. And I kind of arrived at this point where I was like, Oh man, like that really wasn't as awesome as I thought it was. And that happened to me with Spider-Man far from home specifically, specifically about like the drone stuff with Tony or whatever. Like, I just can't stop thinking that like Tony had this like extrajudicial execution drone thing or whatever. Like it just doesn't hold like, 
this is the dude that fought for regulation of super people, right? And he put a giant satellite in space with hundreds of murder drugs. It's just like, I don't know, for some reason that, like, really bothers me. And those sorts of things can, like, really chip away at this stuff over time. Um, whereas stuff like, you know, the first time I saw Man of Steel, I thought it was okay. But then I went back and I watched it and I liked it more and more over, like, over time. And I appreciated the things that it did uh, better and better. And the same thing is true for, like, The, the Last Jedi or whatever. So, and it, like, it's 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 chasing a, it's like chasing this like weird high in a way, right? Like I want the things I love to be good and to pay off for me. Um, but they don't always. And when they don't, it just like really sucks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, yeah. All right. How was your week? Okay. Uh, how was my week? Uh, so the first thing that I did that we can touch on, um, is Clash, which is the League of Legends in-game tournament mode. Just to explain how this works for folks who might not be on the up and up when it comes to League of Legends, they have been demoing this new game mode, which is, um, which isn't a new game mode in the sense of, like, the Howling Abyss, right? Or team fight tactics, but it is a new game mode in the sense of how you play League of Legends. The way that you do it is they set a time and a date. In this case, it was Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Um, and they highlighted uh, your like a kind of timeline where they said like, okay, here's where you lock your team in. Here you get a couple of minutes to scout your opponent. You all get put in a bracket together, and then you play a couple of matches and see who kind of like wins the bracket. Um, and playing the matches in the brackets or whatever gives you like a little capsule and like a little reward um, sort of thing. So the way that uh, uh, and it's eight it's eight teams. You get placed in uh, like you locking your team ahead of time. I was playing with friends of the cast. X, Junki, Monik, um, Charles, Duick, and Josh over the course of the over the course of the two days, um, and you get put in this like eight person bracket. If you lose your first game, you get sent down into a losers bracket, but then you can then win the losers bracket to kind of like come back from it. Like in our first game, we went we lost our first game. We actually got like stomped out because we were against a diamond and a platinum, um, and then. The next two games we were against what I would call fairer teams because um, they were more around our level and sort of like silver gold. Uh, and we were able to beat those teams and win the loser's bracket to get like, I guess, whatever the fucking like loser's bracket capsule looks like. Um, and then the second day we got O2'd where we lost our first game and then we lost in the loser's black bracket and we got like a worse reward, uh, from it. But the thing that's very cool about Clash is that it brings in a lot of the, like the, the interesting kind of like strategies that you will see in like the LCS and you can bring that stuff home and really like play with it, right? Like you're not playing, you know, we, we've talked for instance about how like solo queue isn't the LCS in the, in the past, in the distant past. Um, and clash is not solo queue. Like, so for instance, something that people will see on the enemy team, when you get matched with them, you have about five minutes to try and of like look up their players and they'll show some stuff. Like who do they have the highest mastery on? How many games have they played in ranked on this champion or like, or whatever. Right. Um, and so like in solo queue, probably the best way to climb is to just like one trick, a single champion. If you do that in clash, that champion's just going to get banned. Right. 
Um, and so you kind of have to have like backups and like pocket picks and stuff like that. Like, so for instance, um, my Yasuo got banned in the first two games that we played on the first night, but in the, then in the third game, they let it through. And I think the reason they let it through is because we had first pick, but they had two Yasuo mains on their team. And so I think they were just hoping that we would pick something else um, and they could punish but uh, but they didn't. Uh, and, but and you also get to see like stats with the champion. Like my Yasuo stats are actually not all that good when you look at uh, when you look at my stats in ranked. I haven't played that many games, and I'm pretty sure I have lost more than I've won. Um, so I just have like bad, you know, like bad KDAs on Yasuo, um, and that stuff will uh, be shown to them. Like they will see that you know like boy in this one Yasuo game you know like your KDA was like negative three or whatever um it's impossible to have a negative KDA but whatever um and so if that is the case then they might say oh well Yasuo might be his best champion but clearly he's not that good on it because his like KDA is shitty and ranked do you know what I mean yeah 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 so so you like so have what would you would you do it again Absolutely. Um, the Clash is... I, I will say that Clash is a very advanced game mode um, in a... It's just going to It's just gonna be, like, a real tough... Uh, it's just going to be, like, a really tough way to play the game for a lot of people. Um, the... Yeah, my... Okay, looking up my, uh, my Yasuo stats... My Yasuo in normals is overall a plus with an s minus in combat an a plus in income and an s minus in map control in ranked my yasuo is a c with a c minus in combat a c minus in income and a b in map control so clearly if you are just looking at my ranked stats which you know they they had uh they see a player who is not very good at playing yasuo and so maybe they like let it through so clash was a lot of fun um but it is a really advanced you know like it's a really advanced kind of like game mode you need to have counter picks and like pocket picks and like multiple champions in your role and you need to have a good understanding of your your role your team needs to be in a good space um like for instance we had like issues with people going on tilt right and that was a tough thing to kind of like manage in the moment in normal it's just normal right somebody tilts whatever it's the next game but with clash there's this huge incentive to win and everybody is in there to like really go hard and win the game so someone not putting uh someone like not putting up numbers is really detrimental um, so yeah, there, I, I think Clash is going to be a lot of fun for people when they do, uh, release it, but I will say that they are also asking for money when it comes to being released, which is weird, I guess. Um, I don't know. How, how does that work? Uh, you you will buy tickets to enter, uh, but it seems like there might be ways to buy tickets with like IP. Um, the, the only other game that has a tournament mode like this is uh that i can think of offhand is hearthstone and uh, hearthstone arena will have well. yeah yeah hearthstone will have what's called brawliseum which will be like an arena run but instead of facing like doing a draft at the beginning of the arena um you you build your own deck and so you keep playing until you lose three times or you win 12 times right um if you your, your first entrance into Brawliseum is free, 
And then at the end of your Brawliseum run, you will get a certain number of rewards. And if you get past a certain amount, you can then re-enter Brawliseum for free. I think it's like seven. So if you get seven wins and three losses, you will get enough gold to re-enter the Brawliseum for free. Um, I, I imagine that the League stuff will be, will be fairly similar. Um, people are complaining about this monetization. I, you know, in a certain sense, I empathize with their frustrations. Um, another feature that's been announced recently for league of legends is the eternals feature which is essentially achievements like like champion specific achievements and you need to buy them with rp which players resoundingly thought was an awful choice uh which i generally agree with yeah um like i don't see any reason to buy them without like just like like i'm not super mad that they cost money i'm just like not going to buy them ever. I don't feel like many people will. Like it just seems like a bad decision. Yeah, I mean, else. it's one of the, it's it's kind of like if they had locked like you can't earn mastery on the champion until you pay like I mean, part of it it's like it's like a buck, right? Like it's not that much money, but like there's something about achievements being actual achievements, right? Like if somebody got to mastery 7 on a champion, that represents that they have like earned it, right? But if you hide something along those lines behind a paywall, so the person who is, like, spamming mastery emotes at you and you see that they have, like, Eternals or whatever, that doesn't signal to me that that person is an achiever. That signals to me that that person bought it, in a way. Yeah. The, and, yep. and I think that's the real, like, downside. And I'm, you know, like, I have literally been on this podcast, like apologizing for microtransactions just like this one in other games, right? Like, we've talked about the the Chop Mounts in WoW, right? Or in Final Fantasy fourteen, And I think that those are re- very reasonable. Um, but, uh, but locking your achievement system behind a paywall just makes your achievement system not actually an achievement, which maybe is hard to parse. I could have phrased that better, but you get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, abs- I I I absolutely agree with that. I I like. I just think that th- no one's gonna buy them, right? Like, there's like I don't I don't think there's enough incentive there, right? Like, like I kind of get the battle pass model, which is like you you buy the opportunity to achieve more, like things. Yeah, but like th- this seems this seems like a little bit too short term for that to really work out, right? Like maybe if you could like buy like an eternal season pass or something maybe i get behind that or maybe if it's part of like a battle pass rewards thing since they use the battle pass thing now oh so interesting i've just looked this up because i wanted to get some details but i am now seeing that uh they are delaying eternals based on the feedback um from the community and they are changing things around um it looks like they're they still might i'm sorry I'm, tr- I'm trying to like read as I as, yeah. I as I say this. So it looks like they are separating them out. Uh, you can either buy battle or you can either buy Eternals via RP or Blue Essence, which is the currency they use to use champions. This seems fine to me. Um, and then they're uh, oh I'm sorry. And then they are uh, separate. Okay, so they are separating out the achievements into two categories. There are common sets um, for Eternals that are like kills objectives towers that kind of stuff um those will be blue essence um 
and then the you uh, and then the unique eternals per champion um will be for money for for rp um, see i still think that's a terrible idea but yeah like why, why aren't they both just earnable through blue essences yeah like this makes a lot more sense to me as like a blue essence sink either for people who don't have any more champions to buy or to like entice people to spend money to buy champions so they can spend their blue essence on eternals yeah or something right like I mean, like, yeah, you can give them the RP option because why not, right? But like, having them having them be any of them cost RP only just seems like a, a big mistake. Yeah, I don't uh, don't understand that. I mean, maybe it's just like a money thing. Like something that they actually mentioned was that like apparently there was a lot of development that went into creating these, um, and so like. Maybe it's something along those kinds of lines. Like, they just, like, they have to make money on this project or else, like, they're just, like, too in the hole for it. But it's, like, if that's your mindset, why are you making a free-to-play game? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, it's... it's, it's, it's I, I just don't know how you come up with this idea, right? Like, it, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Yeah, it definitely um, does not to me either. How would I... How would, how would I even do something like this if I wanted to make it not stupid? Um... I don't even know. I don't know what to, like, like I like I said, blue essence sync makes sense to me, right? Like you, you you can just spend blue like it's a way to draw blue essence out of kind of like the economy of the game, mm-hmm. um, or even like putting it in chests. I think like yeah. that's the yeah thing that's right crazy. like as filler for like a for a loot box right yeah why like, are they not in the loot boxes like maybe that's a technical thing like they just don't know how to put them in a loot box but imagine a thing like that seems just like a huge win to me right you you have a loot box you open the loot box here are the unique set of Eternals for Jax right the person goes oh well, you know what I don't really play Jax but I would actually kind of like to try out him and these Eternals or whatever now this person is playing Jax and they're like oh you know what I should get a Jax skin while I'm fucking doing Jax yeah. Eternals or whatever like I feel like that is the way that you want to design a system kind of like this and that like the price model I don't know Just seems yeah. not, not not smart not great but what are you going to do yeah no I, I I agree um I think I had another I had another thought on this um yeah, so so this is actually just kind of more broadly related to the economics of League of Legends. Like, I think some of the weirdness here um, that you get with League that you don't get with Dota. I, I've just been interested. I'm thinking about this. Is that like Dota can like give you all the champions for free because part of what Dota does is drive people to Steam to buy more software, which Valve gets more money, like you know Valve yeah. gets infinite money from. And like League doesn't really have anything else right now, so I don't know. Yeah, see, the interesting thing to me is that there is this push for them to monetize Eternals, but there isn't a push to monetize TFT, which is, like, yeah. the, all you have there are, like, the little legends or whatever, which just seems, like, not that interesting. Um, Epic so. Game Store should buy League of Legends and really piss everyone off. Yeah, um, for real. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, on a more serious note, if someone who owned a game store were to, like, you know, you know, maybe the worst version of this is we see the Tencent gaming store soon. Um, but, like, you know, somebody, some some company that owns, like, a, a storefront uses League of Legends to kind of drive people to that store to buy things, right? Like, uh-huh. you can do stupid things like, you know, and with every purchase on the, on you know, on the Tencent game store, you get, like, 14 RP, you know, like, 10% of the value in RP as, like, a bonus, right? Like, yeah. like 
that's I think the way that, that a lot of this stuff needs to, uh, like that's the, the optimal way to do it. Not that you know I'm in charge of any of this stuff, but I think that that would be the right way to do it. But um, anyway, uh, how's WoW Classic? Because that's the other big thing, right? That's the other big thing. I have played WoW Classic for a grand total of like an hour and a half today. Um, no, I, I, I will, less time I will than remind that. the people at home that we that we have both said that we think that this is a mistake. Uh, I am not playing WoW Classic, but I want to hear your opinions. Well, okay, so I do want to be clear. I do not think it is a mistake. Um, I think there are plenty of people who do legitimately. Like, like my here's my general philosophy on WoW Classic. It is legitimately a different game, right? It's a yeah. different game because of the social structure, because you don't have looking for group, you don't have looking for raid, you don't have looking for dungeon stuff. So you have to kind of mingle on your community a little bit, like in your server community a little bit more. And if somebody, like, says, looking for one more for Black Rock Depths or whatever, and you say, invite me, and they say, oh, I played with that guy, he sucks, or something like that. Like, that's something that matters, the reputation. Um, uh, so that's something that, that really matters to, like, classic players. Um, the focus of the game not being on end-of-game content, being on leveling, which is uh, which is a big deal for classic players, right? Like, you know, it takes a long time to get to level 60, and it is... It, it, it's not something that's going to be done in, like, a week. Like, I'm sure there are going to be people who are, like, no-lifing WoW Classic and they're going to get there really quick, like, you know, the streamers and stuff like that. But for a lot of people, whereas, you know, in BFA, you can get up to 120 from 110 in, like, a very short amount of time, right? Like, eight hours or something like that, like, if you go really hard on it. Um, you're just not going to be able to see those same kinds of returns when it comes to... Um, uh, wow classic and also just for like the artificial difficulty of the game experience right like the the lack of mounts early on in the game uh the lack of abundance of flight points and stuff like that right like when you have the game with flight whistles and hearthstones are on a shorter cooldown and you know you have your dalaran hearthstone and your garrison hearthstone so that like even if you don't have the one right like that those those make travel a little bit too easy and therefore you know you just kind of um get to uh get to kind of experience like the game world more authentically i think all, all of that stuff is very real and very much like kind of counts and so for people who are playing the game that makes a lot of sense i do not however think that classic wow is somehow better than retail or um going to be more appealing on a long-term basis than retail i think on the whole a lot of the small things that have cropped up in retail um are going to outpace classic and people will kind of be sort of hit by that like cold water especially for people who have been really on the bfa hate train um i was talking to a friend of mine recently who uh really dislikes battle for azeroth and he said to me that Classic WoW is challenging and BFA isn't. But the thing is, is that Classic WoW is not challenging. There is literally and markedly less challenge to that game than to Battle for Azeroth in any kind of comparable metric, right? Like, static dungeons and static raids are always going to pale in comparison to Mythic Plus, for instance, right? Or, like, Mythic Raiding or something kind of along those lines. Um, if the challenge is kind of like the inconvenience factor of leveling, okay 
okay, I guess, but that doesn't seem to be any different than BFA because you can turn all of that stuff. You know, like, if you want to experience BFA questing in the same way that you experienced vanilla WoW questing, you can because all of the things that people complain about are you can turn them off like you can turn off the quest helper if you want and you can turn off like the arrows that point you where to go and shit like that and if you want to like sit and read your quest log to figure out how to do stuff that's you can do those things so that's not really a like a dig on the game so that the, i so the, that's my that's my that's my general uh feeling i will say Classic WoW has exceeded my expectations in terms of the audience that it has drawn. Uh, it was over a million people on the launch uh, watching uh, streams. It was the most streamed game on Twitch earlier today. And, um, uh, you know, like Asmund Gold, who's one of the biggest WoW streamers out there, he was getting like 250,000 uh, viewers. So, there, I don't know. There's definitely something there. But, you know, we, we shall see. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to see where it is in a week, in a month. It is right Christmas. now a half a million people watching uh, watching a classic WoW. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, like as like of a, right this second. So, yeah. <clears throat> uh, on my side, what have I done? I played some Remnant from the Ashes, which oh, is. Oh, tell me about this game. I have he- heard so much about it, and I want to understand it. So, um. It's it's a little bit janky. Not it's not it's, it's not like the the combat is smooth, but like the facial animations are like kind of like really jank. But it's kind of like a procedurally ish generated uh, uh, Dark Souls with guns is probably the best way to put it. Um, you have a, a, a long gun, a handgun, and a melee weapon, and you've got a dodge button. And your weapons can have mods on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to kill your way through some stuff. And then that lets you craft materials. Kind of like Monster Hunter. Um, and it's very hard. I have not finished the first level because it's very hard. Um, okay. I think you're supposed to do it co-op. I, I think part of it is that it's really not balanced to be done solo. I feel like I that you need to do it with someone else in order for it to really work. Interesting. Um, but it's really fun. It feels really good. Um, it can get a little frustrating at times. Um I feel like I might have missed a couple of things, but I can't tell if I just like need to circle back on my level or whatever. But it's it's neat. It's very cool. Um, I want to play more of it, but uh, uh, that's probably the best I can I, 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 I can I can say. It's like it's it it like you know I, I probably say this a thousand times, but I hate bringing up the comparison. But it does feel like Dark Souls, right? Like you like there's some moves that you commit to. Um, when you get caught out, it feels mostly like your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, death is not as common, and uh, but it's also like you need to do more to get back to where you need to go. So, I don't know. I like it a lot. Um, I'm probably going to play some more of it. Other than that, I've played uh, TFT and Magic the Gathering. And, uh, is there anything new going on in the Magic the Gathering world? Um, so they're doing, there's, it's like a six week event to get like uh, full art lands as like a, uh, as weekly events. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this week's was, uh, Zendikar, Return to Zendikar, which you get like minor landfall effects. That's cool. It's, yeah. Um, they're not as cool as Tavern Brawls as I remember them for the most part, but they can be cool. Like, uh, like, uh, last week I think was, it's called Standard Shakeup, but they just banned like some very, very meta cards as so mm-hmm. you had to do other things. It was all right. 
Um, the uh, kind the of... tavern brawls are, uh, you know, they they got they got pretty advanced. I actually met the. Uh, uh, like the, they have one guy like on the Hearthstone team, Team Five, who does tavern brawls. Um, like the most recent tavern brawl was really fun. It was uh, it was called like the Amalgamation Brawl, where every minion carried every tag. Right, so it was a Murloc, it was a dragon, you know, it was an elemental yeah. or whatever. So like it was kind of like all it was all tribes at all times, um, and. Uh, and that led actually to an extremely interesting meta that is still ongoing, right? Like at first it was just everybody abusing the Murlocs because, you know, like Murlocs have a lot of like low level synergy, but when everything's a Murloc, that's like really powerful. But then like then like the hate decks became really powerful because like there's a card in Hearthstone Hungry Crab that is one mana destroy a Murloc and this gets plus two plus two, so it's a one mana three four if it kills a Murloc and it's just like one mana kill a minion. Um which is, like, insanely strong and insanely good. And eventually it just kind of gave way to uh, control decks that were, like, that didn't really care all that much about the tribal synergies, but could just, like, beat the, like, beat out the aggro decks with, like, cheap removal um, and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. Like, it's very cool. And uh, and it's neat that uh, that magic is... is it's getting there. Getting there, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, thing, the thing that I am... <clears throat> least happy about i guess is that um i am like i'm never a fan in 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 uh i guess never is hard because like it so the dynamics of of online game versus paper game right like mean that like you get a lot of meta decks a lot mm. and the summer season i can see moving forward being annoying because we're at this point where like you know a bunch of cards are going to leave when when the next set drops um and so I don't want to craft them, but they are being used to kind of, like, pound on people. So um, maybe if I keep playing, it'll be less of a concern because I'll already have all the cards I want for the next summer. But, like, right now it's, like, there are all these cards from the, you know, like, the the, the four sets that are going to rotate out that are very mm-hmm. fucking annoying. I don't want to craft them or anything that, you know, like, I don't want to I don't want to do them because it's just, like, you know, throwing money away. But I can't wait for them to rotate out, and I want that to happen, so... That's that's my biggest gripe about MTGA, um, but otherwise it's fun. I keep making my stupid decks. They do okay. Um, not much else to say about that. That's cool. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I I just think the uh, the the ability to do very very stupid decks is a lot lot higher in Magic than in Hearthstone. Um, I've been thinking about this too. That like, I think class identity is a lot weaker than color identity is like your class identity in, in, in hearthstone is a lot weaker than color identity in magic and um because almost every card is colored and like artifact has its own kind of color identity it makes decks more diverse because there's not as much of a common card pool as there is in uh like with, like with the hearthstone neutrals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with neutrals. Yeah, <clears throat> how do I think about that? Uh, so interestingly enough, they actually put out a um, they put out a blog post about this about class identity, and they kind of highlighted strengths and weaknesses of the different classes and what they thought were like good and bad about the classes. Like for instance, rogue has an explicit weakness for defensive tools like healing but an an explicit strength in like killing minions right like a a rogue can single target your big guy really easily without too much trouble um 
but like and and you know a ton more stuff like that but i do what i do find really interesting is kind of like how the nexus of those different class identities create and like stop certain archetypes like so for instance druid has a really easy time sort of uh generating lots of small minions right like token decks essentially um and that has kind of meant that there's basically always a token druid like deck in the meta that is good and that works um and that is like a or or like control warrior is the same thing right like because warrior has access to good removal like good mass removal they have stuff like brawl right or like whirlwind that that does a bunch of damage to everybody um good uh life gain because they can get armor and they can get above that like 30 life yeah. total or whatever and then like strong defensive tools like taunt minions and rush minions kind of being in their like in their wheelhouse as part of their like these are the types of minions with the types of abilities that we consider to be like core to the the uh uh druid i'm sorry core to the to like to the warrior class identity that stuff means that there will basically always be a control warrior deck that is in the meta just because like you can't have that collection of things without a good control deck kind of like forming forming out of it uh, same thing with hunter and face hunter right like their aggressive hunter decks will oh there will almost always be a good aggressive hunter deck because they have a lot of da- like damage dealing spells and they generate powerful minions on the board sort of thing and then they have a hero power that just ticks you down right like the best deck in the meta right now is highlander hunter um and it summons fucking king crush and hits you for eight damage in the face eight charge damage in the face like that's a thing that happens and it's going to continue happening um so i don't really know how i think about color identity and and how class i I think, it I think part to of this me too is, now is, is that they are obviously like analogous, but I just haven't really thought about them in those kinds of terms. So I don't really have I, more advanced thoughts on that. I, I think I think part of this is one: there's more magic, right? There's a, a larger kind of identity base to kind of assign things mm-hmm. to, right? There's like more mechanics, and two, like I said, because they're like like the neutral minions in in uh, in magic are one rare and two kind of have their own identity um that um because of that like you force magic decks to have to embrace some aspect of the identity of the color like the like Uh probably the the most important choice for your your magic deck is is your color i guess it's true also true for hearthstone with your class but because of that like they have to hew closer to those color identities than hearthstone has to do to its class identity i think that's yeah, and, and I, I, I like that and I dislike that in kind of the same breath. Like, on one hand, I think it's really useful because it means that if you are a class... Like, so for instance, um, this is the role that Doomsayer fills in the in the classic set. Doomsayer is a two-mana minion that's a 0-7 says at the start of your next turn... Um, kill all minions. Yeah, kill all, kill all minions. And it is used as a mass AoE board clear It in decks that don't have strong mass AoE board clears, right? So if you if you need to stop the early aggression of like a Murloc Shaman or something like that, you can put in a Doomsayer, drop it on turn two, and wipe two or three turns of his pro- of his like board progress because it's unlikely that he's going to be able to like you know deal deal the seven damage on turn two to to combo out your um, to combo out your Doomsayer. And so like on one hand, I think that's really useful, and I like that as a um 
you know, as a, uh, whatever, a mage or something kind of, well, mage is a bad example, as like a druid, right? If I need some early game defense, I can pick up this neutral minion doomsayer and get what I need, right? Or like, so, or for instance, if I need card draw, I can pick up Gadgetzan Auctioneer, right? Or like, you know, like Acolyte of Pain, which is like whatever it takes to damage, draw, draw a card or something like that. So you put Acolyte of Pain in your priest deck or your Paladin deck or something, and it'll give you one or two cards, and those decks have a weakness in card draw, so if you need the card advantage, you can kind of, like, supplement that. But I do think that it definitely, um, on the other hand, like, uh, like contributes to the sort of homogenization because you will absolutely see decks where, like, you know, like, there's one card, Zilliax, who is a five-mana taunt, divine shield, rush, lifesteal, right? And he's a 3-2. And, uh, and he's legendary and neutral, and that's just a good stat line uh, with good abilities that makes that fits into a lot of decks. If you're running mid-range or control, that is about as good uh, of a neutral minion that you're going to get, so Zilliax basically goes in every single deck. Whereas, like, in Magic, you don't really have situations like that, where there's just, like, one card that no matter what class you're in, it's going to be in every single deck, right? Because, like, that's just a really rare sort of uh, a really rare sort of thing to see. Like maybe you see that with certain with certain artifacts, like Sensei's Divining Top kind of comes to mind, which is yeah, like a really or like good fetch neutral, lands, neutral. Maybe. Or, yeah, so yeah, or yeah. That's see, that's the other thing because like, and that's something we talked about. Magic has repeat effects, right? Like the fetch lands are all different and unique, but the fetch land for planes is mechanically no different than the fetch land for swamp and so every deck is going to have you know like the fetch lands in it or something kind of along yeah or, or like the dual lands of whatever flavor they've decided to put in this the current set yeah 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 um i think part of this too i think part of the thing that strengthens his identity is like there are multiple ways to kind of get to the same effect but they're all done in kind of very colory ways like you know you talk about like mass board clear right if you straight out destroy the creatures that's a white effect if you do a bunch of damage to kill them all, that's a red effect. If you, um, you know, give them minus minus until they all hit, until they hit like zero, you know, like that's a minus, black effect, yeah. yeah, that's a black effect. And if you return everything to their owner's hands, that's a blue effect. I mean, so, so I don't think that this is quite true just because that's a spell effect and there are no neutral spells in Hearthstone, right? Like the mass AOE that a warlock has sure. in terms of, right, like twisting nether is different than the mass AOE that like, a priest has in terms of psychic scream but in terms of like minions for instance i think this is very true right like a blue deck will have a flyer a black deck will have it's not called fear anymore what is it called? menace menace well, fear, yeah. fear fear still exists but menace is the is the, the more common one now yeah. yeah 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 so like you know or like a green deck will have trample right so like yeah. if you are looking to push combat damage to the fucking face you will get that in green or red like haste on red yeah 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 yeah. like with the with the different kinds of abilities um but like you know it uh in in something like hearthstone right like if i'm a if i'm a rogue and i don't have any taunt minions i can still pick up taunt minions out of the neutral set to give myself like that defensive edge yeah right um or if i don't have any like face damage and i want to be able to like push face i can pick up charge minions from the neutral set i'll put leroy right in my deck because i'm just looking to push six burst damage or something kind of along those sorts of lines um and so that is the that's that's really i think how um yeah how how, how we see it break down yeah it's interesting too because like magic i because it's been on for so long like even like the dual colors have their own 
um, have their own kind of like identities as well, right? Like blue white is very control. Blue green mm-hmm. is like plus one plus one counters. Um, red white is like buffs and like first strike on like smaller minions. Um, you know, blue red is like mayhem. Um, I just think I, I, th- I think it's all very very interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, we've gone way over time. Um, we definitely have. <laughs> uh, but it's but it's been fun. So uh, if you want to tell us what you think about Magic or how much you're worried about Star Wars, you can reach us at subversplaygames at gmail.com. Uh, you could follow us on TV slash subversplaygames. We occasionally are, at this point, just hosting us playing law occasionally. Um, if you'd like to, uh, to give us some money, patreon.com slash subversplaygames. I want to give a shout-out to our new Patreon, uh, Paul, uh, from our friends over at the Minute Podcast. Get a man, uh, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who joins Monik as being our, our, our two subscribers. We're at $8 a month. Um, I haven't put it on the Patreon yet, but I'm going to announce now that if we hit $15 a month, we will do quarterly AMAs because um, that will re- represent the point where we're paying for half of the maintenance of this podcast per month. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested in that, give us money. Um, or, I don't know, spend it on, like, your mom or something. You know, we're not that important. Um, but, uh I think that's everything I had, but do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I am uh, looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.